Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A listener production. Hey, I'm Pro Surfer and mental health advocate Kubi Chapman, and this is Good Humans. When you're a professional athlete, injury is always in the back of your mind. It's not a question of if you will get injured, but when. In my chat with NRL star Connor Watson from the Newcastle Knights, who had a rough 2020 with multiple injuries, I learned his tips to take his upset and turn it into a new way of seeing the world, a lesson we can all learn to apply to any setback in life. Connor, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, Coop. Thanks for having me. It's really cool because I don't know you that well. So this podcast is going to be great for me to get to know you better and for the listeners to get to know you better. And yeah, I'm really excited to hear your story. I've looked into you a little bit and really inspired by some of the work you do. So let's rewind to early Connor Watson career. You were born in Dubbo and then moved to Avoca on the Central Coast. How was your upbringing on the Central Coast? How was your family life and what sort of values did your parents instill in you from a young age? Yeah, growing up in Avoca Beach was, it was incredible, you know. It's, um, grew up around the beach, grew up around the footy oval. I think in the last like 10 years in Avoca, we've had like two NRL players come out of there, a heap of surfers, more surfers up and coming. There's a lot of like rugby league talent there, rugby union talent. So in regards to growing up there, trying to make it in sport I feel like it's a terrific place for yeah young athletes but um also great place just to grow up grow up in general and I loved it mum and dad um and my little brother Fletcher uh, we lived in yeah a house in Avoca and yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky to probably have the upbringing I did I think that um you know not everyone not everyone is so that's why I sort of am so passionate about giving back because I understand that I, I was very lucky with how I grew up and not everyone gets that same opportunity. So, you know, my mum and dad instilled that in me from day dot that we're very fortunate. So we've got to give back, you know, you have to, it's part of, um, part of being a human being and um, you get a lot out of it yourself. Yeah, man, I, I can see so many parallels between me and you. It's so, so awesome to sit across from you being a young professional surfer next to a young professional rugby league player and, Seeing that mindset that it seems like you have and that gratitude for the life that we get to live as young professional athletes. And I think it's, I personally just feel like almost a responsibility. I've been so mm. lucky and so gifted these opportunities that it's so important to give back. And it's so great to hear another person in another sport cross over to be doing the same thing. So let's start with the rugby career. Yep. When did rugby league become such an important part of your life? And Talk me through that junior sort of your junior development part of your career, moving through high school and scholarships and that sort of part of your life. Yeah. So I started playing, I actually started in soccer. I was like five years old. Criminal. Oh, no. I wish I stayed in it, man. When I went to- um, Your body's probably better. Oh, it would be. And uh, the money is (laughs) elite. It's 
elite status. Um, but yeah, we I started in soccer and I, I honestly played like two games in it. And I remember I got kicked in the head like with a soccer ball. My nose started bleeding. I quit. <laughs> And I was like, I'm going to play rugby league. Went to obviously a bit of a, a bit more of a physical sport. And um, yeah, as soon as I started it, I loved it. Uh, started playing all my junior footy on the coast. Most of my footy was for the Kingcumber Colts. Um, and then I sort of played rugby union because there's an Avoca rugby side. And all my mates that I sort of went to primary school with and surfed with, they all played rugby union, not rugby league. And um, so I went and played a few games with them here or there and it was when I was like 16 um, it worked out that I could play rugby league and rugby union the same day sometimes rugby league was always my first preference and um, that was usually in the afternoon but sometimes I'd get a rugby game in the morning down the road from my house in Avoca so I'd run down there and you know go and have a run around with my mates and it was when I started doing that uh, I saw a guy watch me play and then was like, do you, want me, do you want to come and try out for this rugby team? It was called the um, Lloyd McDermott, which was basically, I think it's called First Nations Rugby now. It's the Indigenous Rugby Union team. Um, and I ended up making it and we played in this schoolboys comp, uh, like Division 2, how they have like New South Wales versus Queensland um, in the schoolboys and played in the Division 2 of it. So we versed like Northern Territory, South Australia, Tasmania and um, – yeah, we, we, we killed it um, and there was a guy from Knox Grammar there watching and then sort of approached me after that and was like um, to me and one of my best mates, Jimmy Witters, was like, we want you guys to come and um, play at Knox if, if you are up to it. And, um, you know, once I went and had a look at the school, I just seen how incredible it was and, um, yeah, I was very fortunate to go to that school. I feel like it going there for the last two years definitely um, shaped me as a – um, man and a, and a football player as well because going into that environment of first 15, it was like I was in a professional training environment straight away. Like we were – we had an incredible gym, incredible field. Um, you know, our trainers and all of our staff were elite level. So I feel like that sort of gave me a head start when I come out. And, um, yeah, from Knox, I got a little bit over playing rugby union just because I was out in the centres, out in the outside centre. I wasn't getting much ball and I went and started playing a bit of rugby league in Sydney, sneakily, used to sneak out of school, um, tell them my mum would so, just write in like leave and say, oh, Connor's just going out for a family thing today, every Sunday, but I'd be ducking off and I'd be playing league. And um, that's when a guy from the Roosters, one of the recruitment officers, officers see me there. And then from there, I went and played SG ball, played under 20s. And then, yeah, I was lucky enough to make my debut in 2016. Yeah, that's so cool. It's such an awesome opportunity that you got going to Knox and having that, it sounds like almost that discipline from a, that year 11 and 12 in high school can be kind of the, not the make or break for people, but can be that sort of time in your life where you start partying and getting silly or you can go down the route of being really dedicated to your studies or you can go down the route of being really dedicated to your sport, which I had the opportunity to be being a professional surfer. I was traveling the world competing for Australia when I was 14, 15, 16. That's crazy. Yeah, and, and it sounds like you had the same kind of opportunities and, and it's really cool that you sound like you took that opportunity and ran with it and really took it seriously and, and it gave you the opportunities that you have now in your life. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm really thankful that I got the opportunity to go there. And like you said, I think it um, just 
instilled a professional mindset in me from a younger age. So as soon as I got into the, the 20s program at the Roosters, I was sort of, you know, a little bit ahead of all those guys in that department, whether it was like how I trained or, um, you know, how sort of strong and fit I was. I'd been doing it for a couple of years. So, yeah, I got to jump on a few guys there. And, um, yeah, and then also like for me away from the field, like the connections I made and also, you know, the way – I was able to study because I wouldn't have been able to do it if I was back home. Like be, boy, being a boarding student, um, you sort of, there's a, you know, a bit of pressure on you from, you know, the boarding teachers and all of that. But I'm thankful for that because um, I ended up, you know, going pretty cool in my schooling. And um, although I haven't used any of it yet, I'm sure one day it's going to, um, yeah, it's going to be able to help me. Yeah. I hear Connor has his own podcast with, Kalen Ponga, his yeah. roommate and his um, fellow Newcastle Knights player and it's an absolute cack. You'll have to go check it out. What is it? 247 Collective? 257. 257. Yeah, 257.collective. Okay. That, I had a listen last night and it, it's an absolute cack. But <laughs> one of the things that you are talking about was study and reading. Can you tell me a little bit about the sort of books that you read? Because I don't know if you can look behind you. We've got a bookshelf over here with all self-development books. It's something that I really think for me inspires me to become a better person because I can read other stories of resilience. I can read other stories of self-development. And for me, unlocking, as an athlete anyway, unlocking that mindset and finding those little hacks that other people have found is really inspiring. What sort of books do you look for and what sort of books have you got the most out of? Yeah, I was looking at your bookshelf and it's pretty similar to how mine is. It's Yeah, it's a lot of the self-development books. Um, I think for me... I probably like the audio books a little bit more just because um, it's a lot easier Like, and you can just put it on before you go to bed and listen um, and I feel like it's a good way for me to get to sleep, like to hear someone talking to me and I'm not like my mind isn't racing. I'm just thinking about what they're saying. But um, yeah, I like, I see uh, Think Like a Monk over there, which I'm actually listening to at the moment and um, The Alchemist is one of my favourite books too and um, that one yeah, it's like an incredible story of, you know, uh, journey and self-growth and like development and um, have you listened to that one? No, I haven't or read, read it. Read it. Yeah, yeah. The Alchemist is a really good book. It's um, actually amazing to listen to before you go to sleep because it puts you in like this dreaming state. Think like the way that the guy talks and um, yeah, then uh, you just have re- – I found that I had really good dreams after listening to it. But yeah, those, those sort of books, I've got. I'm actually got the four agreements in my bag at the moment. So I'm just about to crack that soon. Um, yeah, but I think the best thing about COVID – uh, or one thing I can take out of it is probably that I've like slowed down a bit and gone back to reading and, um, you know, listening and, you know, sort of pursuing growth as a, as a person because it's easy to get caught up in the day-to-day and not really think about it, but it's made me really check in with myself and see where I'm at and, you know, see where I want to be and where I need to be. And um, like like you said, those books help. You can take things from different guys like I list, uh, listened to Ross Edgley's Book of Resilience. Yeah, you got that there. So that's when he traveled uh, about him swimming around England and yeah, just different things that you can take from all of these guys. But I'm really enjoying the pursuit of getting better. Yeah. It's, it's such a great mindset to have. And at such a young age, you're only 24 years old. It's, I think it's something that we don't really get taught at school. Almost. We get taught all these other things that are supposedly extremely important in life, but that self-development and self-growth and finding the maturity to take it upon yourself to have the responsibility 
to grow as a person and to reflect and actually notice how you're feeling. And it sounds like 2020 has been a great opportunity for you to reflect and to grow. And, and it's so great that you've taken that opportunity to do that. I will give you one book to read. Yep. Have you heard of Grit by Angela Duckworth? No. Unbelievable. It's basically about that talent only gets you so far. Grit, determination and hard work will always outweigh. And there's so much science and data behind it as well. You like that. Grit. It's a good one. Grit. Okay. It's a good one. I'll have to give it a crack. All right. Let's rewind back in your career. So Sydney Roosters, one of the best clubs in the competition. How was it playing for them to start your career? Yeah, it was amazing. It's a club with so much history and um, tradition. Uh, I think there's a, there's a lot of pressure that comes with you playing for the Roosters, but um, I didn't. Uh, I feel like when I come in, I didn't feel it because the coaching staff and all the players did a terrific job of like not making the rookies feel like that. But um, yeah, I feel like it was a great great uh, place for me to start my career. You know, I learned so many things from all of those guys. They're terrific leaders and you can see why once once you're in that environment, you can see why they're so successful. Like people look, from the outside looking in, it might be hard to sort of work out why, but being in there, being amongst it, um, they're just really professional and um, their mindset around things is just, uh, it's really different and really they're just so driven and um They'll do anything to win. So for me to learn that at the start of my career, I feel like, um, yeah, it's helped me become the player I am, but also the man away from the field I am. Like uh, I've, you sort of be in different environments as a footballer and, um, you know, sometimes, you know, there's like e- e- people might have big egos and stuff like that, but never never really at the roosters, like never felt that at all. Everyone's like down to earth and after the one common goal, so. Yeah, that's so awesome. I mean, I do go for the bunnies. <laughs> Maybe I wouldn't have been cheering. I thought for you'd you. be a manly fan. I know that's what everyone thinks, but no, nah, bunnies have been my um, family team since I was born. So I've always there you go. supported them. Um, we're talking a bit, a little bit about it before. I haven't really heard the story, and I'm not excited to hear the story, but I'm really hopeful that you're happy to share it. At the end of your Roosters career, something happened in your life that I probably changed it forever and really shaped who you are now. Can you talk me a little bit through that? Yeah, so um, it was in 2017, actually the week that we versed the bunnies. I remember it um, pretty clearly. Yeah, I got a got a call from my mum, and like could tell she was upset straight away. And um, she basically rang me to tell me that my cousin Parker, um, who was a teenager, um, had taken his life. Uh, it was weird, weird feeling like hearing that first. I was just in complete shock and um, I was actually out for breakfast so I kind of just like was not far from my house I was like I was with some people I was like I gotta go and just like ran off and then um, yeah just had to go home and just be by myself for a bit and yeah try and um, take take it all in but um, yeah obviously you know it's a lot of loss and grief for my family and it's really changed uh, I guess the dynamic of our family everyone reacted differently and we're all sort of different people now, but one thing that we've done to our credit is try to turn our loss and our grief into changing it so other people don't have to go through that. That's That's been the biggest driver uh, for us as a family. Like I said, my mum and dad instilled with me from day dot, you know, you've got to give back. If, you know, if you're in a position where you're fortunate, you've got to give back. And um, so I understood that from a young age and 
when I got the scholarship to go down the Knox, mum and dad had just started a business and, you know, in their long-term plan was to start a charity, like a family charity. And um, we wanted to do it around like Indigenous education and give kids out West more of an opportunity to, um, whether that's to study or get apprenticeships or whatever it was. And um, we're sort of in early talks of doing that in 2016, 2017. And then it wasn't until this happened with um, my cousin Parker and, uh, after having a look at, you know, Indigenous youth suicide and seeing the rates of it and just seeing how sickening it was and how high they are, um, I realised that I needed to use my voice to go and promote change and create change in this space because it's not something that we hear about enough. And once you look at it, it's two and a half times more than the national average and it's the second leading cause of death. For kids under the age of 14, I just couldn't comprehend why any kid so young would, would want to do it. And, um, yeah, it's sort of been our family's mission since to go and do what we can to close the gap in that way and um, to fix this issue. So that's why we started the Cultural Choice Association, which is, um, yeah, to bring awareness and um, support in the prevention of Indigenous youth suicide and its related causes here in Australia. Yeah, man, that's so beautiful and it's so... First of all, sorry about your loss. It's such a terrible thing, suicide. And the way that your family has obviously grieved and then tried to turn such a terrible tragedy into something that can create change and try and help other people is such a beautiful, such a beautiful thing. And it's so, it sounds like you found that sort of thing that you were looking for when you were younger about giving back. And you've really found that path where you can actually have a clear clear spot to put that energy into to try and make some serious changes. So what sort of things does the charity do, if you don't mind asking? Originally, we wanted to run programs in communities, through mainly through schools. That was our initial thing. Uh, but it's sort of one thing just led to another and we started the Boots for Brighter Futures initiative, which um, in Indigenous Round, obviously majority of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait guys or keep. 2018 we that it made from it, I just donated back into the charity. And I sort of had a conversation with Aiden Guerra and he's a non-Indigenous guy and he was like to me, can you get my boots painted next year? Like I'd love for your dad to paint my boots. And at the time I was spending a heap of um, a heap of time out at Kirinari Hostel, which is a uh, it's a hostel for Indigenous kids uh, 18 and under or 
12 to 18, so high school kids uh, from the country. So they go there and live in Newcastle and that way they can go to school in Newcastle for a better opportunity or sometimes because, you know, they might not have the best home life. So they sort of got to get away. Um, and I was going out there a heap and I just just saw a sort of, a, it was like an explosion in my brain. I was like, why don't we get the kids at the hostel to paint our boots? I thought like, you know, as, as nice as it is having my dad to do it, it's probably more special for these kids to be able to go and do it. And um, so we got we got um, from that, like I had a conversation with mom and then I sort of talked to my teammates about it and we ended up with like 25 pairs of boots. So then I went from, there's 10 kids at the hostel. We went from, all right, using the hostel to let's engage another community uh, community group. So we got the Glen, which is a um, Indigenous rehab on the Central Coast. So the so we got like uh, ten of those guys to do boots, and then uh, Mum and Dad were doing some work with the uh, the Juvie on um, the Central Coast Baxter Detention Centre. So then we got like five guys from there to do it. So we ended up engaging those three community groups and. Uh, got them all to paint our, our players' boots and um, tell a combination of their story and the players that they were painting story and um, it was really special. Those guys loved it and then we auctioned them off after we played the Roosters and I think that year we made, it was about $26,000 um, which was was pretty cool and so 50% of that goes to either the artists or um, the groups that they're involved with because you're not allowed to pay um guys in juvie and stuff, um, which we're working on, trying to fix that up for the next couple of years, just going to see how we can sort of get around that. Um, and then the rest of the money goes back into the association so then we can run more programs. That's what we thought. We're going to run more community programs. And then this year we ended up, I spoke to part of like the NRL community team um, and the clubs, all the clubs were down there. It was like 20 of their, it was like 16, all clubs had a um, community community officer down there and I just presented the whole program to them and we ended up getting the Tigers, the Knights again, um, some of the Titans players and the Warriors. And um, so we ended up with like 70 pairs of boots, I think it was. Yeah. Um, so therefore we had to go and engage more community groups and we ended up working with six juvies, which is really cool. So um Six Juvies, um, the Glen again, the Kirinari Hostel, another um, Indigenous woman's refuge, um, and then also a community group in Redfern. Um, and then after doing that this year and getting feedback from, you know, all sources, especially the guys in the Juvie, just seeing how much the um, artists were able to open up over the time and um feel like they're in a comfortable comfortable environment where they could actually talk about their mental health and not feel like they were getting judged and they were spending one-on-one -on -one time with a mentor, which they would never get to do. We've realized that the the most growth we're going to make as, as an organization is in this program. So next year we're looking to put all of our resources back into it. We're going to uh, run, like implement a cultural and mental health program through it, um, which we're not exactly sure what it looks like yet, but that way they're going to get cultural learning, learn more about their culture, who they are, which is one of the most important things too because for Indigenous people, connection to culture is um, a big thing about 
uh, self-identity and, and really knowing who you are, which if you don't know who you are, then you, you're going to struggle with your mental health. So that's what we've found. So we're going to um, yeah, get some cultural guys in and then get one-on-one -on -one mentors for all of the guys. So then that way, if they're going through a tough time and they want to have a conversation, they feel comfortable with someone to do so because a lot of the time, they don't really get on with the person they're talking to or um, might not have a great relationship with other people in the jail. So, um, yeah, we're going to put all of our resources into that next year and hopefully we can get all of the clubs on board. But, um, yeah, we're just working on that at the moment. What's your take on, I guess, toxic masculinity in such a contact sport like rugby league? Like you said, it's quite macho. It's a sport where big blokes are running each other and putting each other in painful situations. Do you think it is changing a little bit the way that NRL in particular is looking at mental health of players and the way that the players are respecting, I guess, other people's mental health? Yeah, 100%. It's, I mean, I can't really comment for what it would have been like 20 years ago, but I, I feel like it's a, society, it's a society issue as well. Like it's probably represented in the game, like how far we've come as a game is probably represented how far we've come in society around it too. But yeah, it's definitely, um, we're definitely progressing in that space. And like you said, it's, uh, it's okay to not be okay, but you just got to um, be open to talking about it and um, all that stuff in the past, like that, those past perception of what blokes, that's the past. Like we're creating the future. We can create what the perceptions in the now are. And I feel like that's important that, Guys like me and you do that. Yeah. I think something that I really work on is I almost want to call it mental health maintenance. Mm. Every single one of us has mental health. Like one in five will suffer a diagnosed mental illness in Australia. That's a fact. That's statistics. But five in five of us have mental health. What sort of things do you do daily, weekly to maintain your mental health? Because I feel like we're almost, life is almost like this treadmill dragging us towards mental illness, but it doesn't have to be scary to work on your mental health. What are some tips and things that you do? It can, it can honestly be anything as simple as like just doing what you like, you know. For me, I, I try and start my day the right way. So I'll get up, duck down to the beach straight away. First thing I do, watch the sunrise. Get, watch the sunrise. I'll sit there. I'm reading a book at the moment, um, which is like, it's like it goes for 24 weeks. It's called The Master Key. Um, it's actually the book that The Secret is based off. So, and then you got to do like a meditation exercise at the end of that. And I feel like just spending time being still and with no distractions around you, like no phone and just sitting there and just thinking, um, it really helps me. Um, and then jumping in the ocean is a big one for me. Like whenever I feel like it's too much, I'll just go for a swim and yeah, it's amazing. You know, nature just really puts things in perspective for you. And um, yeah, like it can be as simple as that. Or for some people it might be reading a book. You know, you don't have to be like a yogi or um, a monk to be working on your mental health. It can be, yeah, running physical activity is one of the best things for your mental health and yeah, talking to people, you know. Um, socializing they're all these are all simple things like going for coffee with your friends yeah it doesn't have to be meditation or anything that because so, some people aren't open-minded to that stuff and that's okay but there's other things that you can do to go on yeah mental health maintenance yeah just do what makes you happy and it can yeah. really bring your life up i want to talk to you a little bit about some struggles that you've had you've been extremely unlucky this year with injuries Tell me a little bit about your injuries and how hard that's been for you. Yeah, it was a it was a tough year for me personally. Um, 
but it's one that I'm grateful for, to be honest. Uh, I'll get to that in a second. But, um, you know, I had my ankle injury as soon as we got back from the COVID break, missed six weeks, come back for a game, made, got it through, that one all right. And then next game, tore my Achilles and then missed the rest of the year. And, you know, that's a long-term injury. So I spent more time, um, yeah, on the sidelines than I did playing. And after doing my Achilles, it was it was a really tough pill to swallow just because it was a non-contact injury. It's one of the worst injuries you can do as well. And, you know, for a period there, probably for like two weeks, I was feeling really sorry for myself, as you do. You have to, I think. You got you to go through that. And But then a bit of gratefulness and um, then you start to put things in pers- into perspective. Actually talking about gratefulness, that's one thing that you can do for your mental health too that I actually find uh, really helps. We usually do it around dinner table. So it was me, Kaylin and Texef for a bit and, um, you know, go around three things you're grateful for. We try and do it every night and yeah, that sort of puts things into perspective. Like you might have some issues going on, but then if you can think of three things that you're grateful for, you're doing a lot better than, you know, a lot of people out in the world. So instead of feeling sorry for myself, just flip my mindset. Okay. Instead of why me, and it's just, this has happened to me for a reason. And this is what I'm grateful for. I'm started just sort of doing more work on my mental side of things, which I wouldn't have done before because like I said, you go through the motions and if I just didn't have this injury and just kept going, I probably would have done this in two years time. So I've done it now. I'm working on things that I haven't done. I've started doing a lot more like of, you know, your Wim Hof stuff and just being more open-minded and curious to get better because I can use this opportunity away from the game because you don't often get to pause (laughs) because, you know, you're trying to get ready for the next game. You're trying to get ready for the next surf comp. Um, And it's funny, like Harley said the same thing, like with his wakeboarding when he did his knee, like he got to work on things that he had never done before and he come back a way better wakeboarder than um, he was before. And I feel like for me, I'm going to come back as a way better footballer than I was and definitely a mental, mentally stronger one and just more curious and doing more things that I'm passionate about away from the game. Speaking of things you're passionate about away from the game, do you think without the injury you would have got the Ken Stevens Award? I mean, I know you've obviously done some great work, but did you get to focus a lot more time on that aspect of the community service in in the game of rugby league for you? And for anyone who doesn't know, I actually don't know that much about it, but the Ken Stevens Award is awarded to the NRL player who does the, be- or yeah, does just- the best community service but has the biggest impact in the community outside of the game of rugby league and that's why you got awarded that. How special did that feel for you and did it, did it make you really a sense of accomplishment and make you super proud, probably super proud with your family there watching that if, to be honest, for me, I'd be more proud to win that award than a premiership. For me, in front of my parents to be able to stand up there and receive that I'm the person who's trying to give back and really share life and make other people's lives better, that that must have felt good. Yeah, it was a terrific honour. Yeah, it was, um, I, I don't know if with me being injured allowed me to focus on it more, but purely because of like COVID made it tough to do community work. So for like the Boots for Brighter Futures stuff, I was just more delegating. Like I was just doing a lot of phone calls because I couldn't actually have a physical presence out there in the community. And a lot of the stuff we did was like through Zoom. So you'd call schools through Zoom and, um, you know, have chats with some kids on on Zoom and stuff like that. But winning it, like it's a massive honour and I'm I'm proud, but I feel like, there's a lot of people in the background to do with me winning it. 
you know, I've got my mum, dad and my brother who are right by my side, you know, trying to um, promote change through Cultural Choice Association. But then all the volunteers for the association as well, like we had so many guys working for free and it was a big project because we thought it was off. And then they told us it was that Indigenous round was back on. And I don't, I think we had like two months to organise 70 pairs of boots, get them in, prep them, send them out to get painted, get them back, make sure they were good, touch them up. Like if we had to fix them, then you got to put like the lacquer, like the protective layer on them and then you got to get them out to the players in time. So all of those guys that helped out doing that, like it's that's that's the reason why I've won the award. Like it's not just me. It's, um yeah, my family and then like everyone has just been a part of the program and helped, helped me do my community work. Like I feel like it'd be wrong for me to sort of say, you know, I, I won it, but yeah, like we all won it, you know, yeah, we yeah. all made it. You're too humble. You, <laughs> it, I'm exactly the same way when it comes to things like that. You can't take all the credit, but it's awesome that you got to stand up there and do that. Mate, this has been an amazing chat. You've been so honest and raw with me and some of the work and the some of the stuff that you've been doing in the community is so humbling and so beautiful to know that there's people out there that are chasing for that. So I'm going to finish with the last question I ask everybody. Yeah. What does being a good human mean to Connor Watson? Oh, stump me. I didn't know. I didn't I know everyone gets stumped coming. on that one. Um, being a good human to Connor Watson means um, just being a, you know, being true to your values um, and being kind to others. I think that's massive. You don't know what other people are going through. So, um, and yeah, if you if you're in a position where you're fortunate enough, giving back and help helping others because we we all want to get better as people, and you know you can help someone progress and um, be a inspiration for them. So if you can do that, do it and um, do it with a smile on your face. And how good does it feel doing that sort of stuff? I bet you get the most fulfillment out of that. Oh. Probably almost over winning football games. That service, there's so much science behind it as well. And that thing like a monk talks a lot about it that. Mm. True fulfillment comes from service to other people. Yeah, and that's that's I talk about this a bit. And whenever I've been asked about it, um, they're like, "What are the what are the kids and what do the young people get out of what what you do?" And I'm like, "Yeah, they might get a bit out of it, but it also impacts me in a really positive way." Like doing this stuff is so fulfilling, and it makes you feel really good. Like you're actually, you know, really doing something. Um, yeah, contributing to making society a better place, and um, yeah, they're they're definitely helping me as much as I'm I'm helping them. Yeah, I'm sure you're a huge inspiration to all the people around you. Just hearing you that you and Kaylin and the boys sit around the dinner table and talk about gratitude that that blew me away. It's yeah. beautiful. That's something that we try to do quite often as well, and it's a really powerful thing. Yeah, it's um it's hilarious whenever people come around for dinner. We like because we do it like we to start with. It's a little bit confronting. Like some uh, we've also done like um ones where you got to give everyone in the table a compliment. What you like about them? That is that is confronting and like try and look at them in the face without like laughing. Is is it's all time. But um yeah, we've got to the point now with all of our friends. Even when they come around, they really embrace it and get amongst it because. You know, it makes you makes you feel better, and especially when um, you know complimenting people like you can just compliment someone. We walk past them on the street, and it's going to make them, you know, you don't know what they're going through. It might put them in a better mood or a better place than before you before you did. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, just 
just be nice to people is probably yeah. the, probably the mean, biggest thing. A simple saying, yeah, a simple smile can make somebody's day. So mm. thank you so much, Connor, for sitting down with me and checking out my little pad here yeah, up in Kingscliff. And yeah, good luck with 2021. I really hope it's injury free for you. And thank you, bro. Hopefully one of those premiership rings. Yeah, that'd be nice, it. mate. Thanks for having me, Coop. Cheers, mate. Good Humans was presented by me, Cooper Chapman. Producer, Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.